Hello, hello. Welcome back. It's Leading Women in Tech here. I'm your host, Tony Collis. Let's dig in to a topic dear to my heart about creating a great culture. I actually have a guest coming up in the next few months who is going to be digging into culture even more. But I wanted to talk about culture and how we can improve it even when we are not getting support from senior leadership. A fantastic team culture is essential, not only for our productivity, but also happiness and work satisfaction. And that's where I want us to be leveraging. This is near and dear to my heart because I think culture makes or breaks an organization. I've seen far too many of us, myself included, leave a company because of bad culture. I've seen toxic behavior come about because the culture was ambivalent or a culture of, but we can't say no to them because they're a superstar. Culture is everything in our organizations. And it is so incredibly important to productivity, to aspirations. And from my personal point of view, making sure more of us as women in tech thrive, stay in technology, change the technology industry, which is why I do what I do. I love working with women, but ultimately I'm here because I want women to have a better say on the technology that's built around the world for the entirety of the human race. If you listen to the podcast, you know that that's why I'm here. I happen to also love working with women, but my mission is changing technology as an industry. And if we don't have great culture, that's just simply not possible. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Before I dig in, I just wanted to say hello and happy July. How did it get to be Q3? <laughs> I'm like, where did the first six months of the year go? I cannot believe how fast 2022 is going. I would love to hear from you if your 2022 is exploding and exciting and thrilling you, or if your 2022 is going fast, but you're like, mm, not quite sure where I want it to be. I would love to hear from you listeners. I love to hear how you're getting on. I love to hear it if you're enjoying these episodes. And of course, I love suggestions for future episodes. So if that's resonating with you, drop me a DM over on LinkedIn. I still respond to every single DM personally. Might not be true forever, but it is right now. So go drop me a DM. Connect with me if you're not connected with me. I love being connected with you all. And let me know what you're going to be aiming for in Q3. A lot of the time, Q3 feels like it's summer. We don't necessarily need to focus as much. But Q3 is really our opportunity to ensure this year is a great year. By the time Q4 rolls around, we tend to be winding down. Q3 is your opportunity to make sure you're on track for everything you wanted to achieve professionally this year, personally as well, by the way, but professionally. And by professionally, I mean what your team needs, what your company needs, but also what you need, whether that's a promotion, new experience, uh, getting a new job somewhere else. Let me know. Give me a check in. How are you getting on? But let's get back to today's topic. Over my time as a coach, one of the number one questions I get asked as a coach by people who are job hunting is how can I ensure that the organization I'm considering joining is a healthy, happy one? 
one that promotes well-being, mutual respect, care, empathy. We all care about this, right? At that point in the conversation, we'll often have a long discussion about the questions we should be asking at interview. Great. Who they should be speaking to, what to do if they get a sign of something bad, but you aren't sure. Is that a red flag? Is it not a red flag? Mm. Every time I do that, though, I think we're all missing a bit of an opportunity. And here's why. A few years ago, I worked with a client whose zone of genius was to go into a toxic organization and turn it around. It wasn't what she was being hired to do necessarily, but it was what she did when she turned up and she thrived at doing. She built her resiliency toolkit up sky high to the point where she could be in this situation. She could inherit a fully toxic environment, something many of us, myself included, struggle with, and then turn it around in a matter of months. This woman is extraordinary. I've never met anybody else like her. If you're one of these women, like, please reach out to me. I need more of you in my circle. I need to know more of you because you are an inspiration to all of us. But it got me thinking, why do we all expect someone else to fix the culture? Why do we all turn up and say, I need a check for those red flags? And, and I do this too. And I advocate this to all the women I work with. But I thought, why shouldn't we be owning this problem as well? Especially when I work with so many executives. Now, there is a caveat here before we move on. Toxic culture is enabled by the top. Changing culture without management buy-in is incredibly difficult. In some organizations, it can actually be impossible. In addition, it's essential that you have taken care of you first. Remember to put your own face mask on on the airplane before helping others, right? We have to take care of us first. And many women who have been burnt before are the first ones saying, how do I check for that toxic environment? And sometimes that burning, that pain that we've experienced, it's still very much there and fresh and raw and you have to take care of you first. However, even with those caveats, I believe we can all make a positive difference to the culture in our workplaces. Remember that every single person in an organization impacts culture. This was something a head of HR told me many years ago and stuck with me ever since. Every person you bring in to any organization changes the culture in some way. Sometimes every person that leaves also changes the culture. And sometimes these changes are a big thing. Sometimes they're a very small thing. Every person who leaves, their absence impacts those around them. Now, often we can ensure that we have a lasting impact on culture even after we've left, which can be both positive and negative. But without being fed by repetition of the cultural elements align with a particular individual, culture will change. This is most start when a leader leaves. Often a company will aim to hold on to the legacy of operations if that individual had a great culture. However, without constant nourishment feeding that culture, within a relatively short period of time, that culture can evaporate. I've seen that myself firsthand. The same is, of course, true for less positive cultures. Somebody can leave and suddenly the culture improves. Nobody consciously did anything, but the culture shifted because that person was no longer there. It's also worth highlighting that culture is about having a common approach to work based on similar benefits and values. This is where you can start adding value where whatever the situation in your broader organization, whether you lead a team or you're an individual contributor, you can heavily impact culture within your team. A healthy team culture can make a company and a poor or toxic culture can break a company and lead to high staff turnover, which after all is no good for anyone. That applies to teams as much as large corporations. In fact, the model for small team culture is 
most obvious in big business. Some elements of culture stem from the top, yes, particularly cultural processes such as attitude to paid time off, performance cycles, inter-team communications, that comes from the top. But if those aren't mandated processes, it can be very easy for toxic cultures to develop because of one toxic person somewhere in the business impacting on the individuals around them. But unless that person is right at the top, a lot of the time it's in one or two or three small teams or maybe a business unit. Remember, toxicity is multiplicative in its effect, sadly. It needs to be stamped out quickly, which often requires someone in a senior position, yes. But if you're a manager of a team, you can be that brick wall. I talk about a steel beam with my clients. We hold a steel beam. We decide what we transmit downwards. We hold that steel beam so that nothing gets transmitted downwards without us consciously deciding to transmit it downwards. And that applies to culture and toxicity as much as anything else. So if you're a manager of a team in any format, you can decide the culture in your team, irrespective of what's going on elsewhere in the business. As a leader, it's incredibly important that you're doing everything within your power to foster a great team culture for the area that you're responsible for. And interestingly, that quite often percolates beyond your immediate team. What does that look like? Well, this ensures that you are creating an environment where people can take risks, which leads to cooperation and trust, giving everybody, your employees, a purpose beyond their job description, demonstrating how you conduct business in a healthy, productive manner, and giving employees a common identity and purpose leading to higher staff retention. So how do we create this great team culture that I'm talking about? Well, I'm going to break this down for you because that's what I like to do. I have four key steps for you, but hopefully by now you can start to see how we can impact our team's culture simply by what I'm talking about, even if your broader organization isn't doing everything you would like to see them doing. So let's get to these four specifics. Number one, determine what culture you want to create in your team. Ask yourself, how do you want your team to collaborate, operate, communicate? How do you want people to show respect, treat each other and hold difficult discussions? How do you want the attitude to be towards taking time off and working evenings and weekends? Get clear on these questions, on your answers, your expectations. Make sure that when you're going through this list that you consider the uncomfortable and tricky situations, not just the shiny ones. This is where culture often starts going wrong. We often set culture based on what we hope will happen instead of worst case scenarios. So ask yourself, how do you want your team to be treated when things are going wrong at work? How do you want people to treat each other when they experience a personal tragedy? How do you want the team to tackle underperformance of others? Make a list of all the uncomfortable conversations you've had in the last year and ask yourself, what culture would I like to see emerge when those uncomfortable situations occur again? Okay, number two, have team members work together to solve problems. Now, this may sound obvious, maybe you already do, but let's, let's dig into what I actually mean here. Once you've identified the culture you want to create, number one, it's time to start enabling it. The easiest and swiftest way to do this is to look at how people work together. And this is often where whatever your role or responsibility, you can have a positive impact on culture, even as an individual contributor. If you as an IC have written down the culture you would like to see, even if you're not a manager, you can then show up to working in pair situations, pair programming, that's the software world. <laughs> but wherever you're collaborating with a fellow team member, 
you can show up and decide to have a positive impact on the culture in the way you treat that person next to you. But if you haven't written that list out, then you are just showing up and being reactive to the situations. Be intentional. Now, if you're a manager, you have even more control. And the hardest thing here is to set that expectation, encourage it, get people to talk about how they want each other to behave during these co-working events, whatever that looks like. Foster that environment of peer coaching, collaboration. Collaboration is so powerful, so recognize and celebrate it. But whatever you do, use team members solving problems together to create this culture, to embrace those principles you identified in number one above. Okay, number three is create and foster a safe environment. Psychological safety at work has become a bit of a buzz phrase recently. And yet, in my opinion, it's very poorly understood. It's incredibly important and it is essential. However, it's not a simple thing. Hey, we're psychologically safe around here. What is it? It is about creating and fostering that safe environment for everyone that people feel they can bring them whole selves to work. And again, remember, you can influence the culture here, whatever your position, by leading by example. This is one of the things I learned very early on in my career. And I think if I'm honest, this is part of what enabled me to become a people leader so quickly. I created psychological safety for those around me without realizing it. People were coming to me and sharing with me why they weren't able to achieve outcomes. I was able to work with them and help them achieve the outcomes, which moves the projects forwards. And suddenly I had a reputation for delivering because I was helping other people deliver simply by making a safe space for them to solve their own problems. And I think this is something we can all do more of. By being vulnerable, you're giving everybody else permission to say, hey, I don't know how to solve this. Hey, I don't know what to do here. Hey, this hurt. So share, for example, when you don't know the answer to a problem and that you're seeking insights. Share when you are uncomfortable about a decision you're making and why it's uncomfortable. Share about personal struggles you have. Now, the key here is not to overdo it or announce that you are being vulnerable, but instead share how you operate, how you think, how you solve problems, how you experience life as a human to those around you. One word of caution, don't share issues that you haven't emotionally dealt with. If you're angry at your boss, having a meltdown with your kids, if it's not resolved, do not share it, especially if you're a leader. Now, that doesn't mean that we're gonna not allow other people to share. But if you are in the position of trying to set the cultural expectations, you need to show that you're not just oversharing at work in a way that makes everybody else uncomfortable. You need to be in the position of sharing to say, this is safe. People aren't going to judge you for who you are. If as a leader, whether you are a thought leader or you have the management title, which means you're a leader in job title as well as in execution, you need to hold that executive presence space. This is one of these things that I think a lot of us struggle with. We're told to be vulnerable and authentic at work, but what does that even mean? It means showing up and sharing about yourself, but without having a full-on meltdown in front of other people. Ideally, you want to do the meltdown in front of people where you know it's not going to have a backlash on your career. Now, in an ideal world, I would love it if we weren't judged for these things. There's an interesting debate to be had. I feel like there's another podcast episode <laughs> But from an executive presence point of view, if you are having a meltdown with your boss, you do not decide to bring that to your team. That's unprofessional. So don't do that. If your kids are playing up, you don't bring that to your team. You bring it to your best friend. 
While we're working through our emotions, we're likely to overshare in ways that can actually hurt people, damage our own reputations as well. Be deliberate in your actions as a leader. Others are looking to you to show the way here. Number four is find value in your team and build a culture around that. Build those values into everyday, small things. For example, in your team meetings, regularly re-establish those values, build rapport around them. I love to encourage every team to co-create a set of shared values that they hold and remember regularly. This can create that shared foundation of expectation and mutual respect. So let me just recap those four areas. First of all, determine what culture you want to create on your team. Number two, have team members work together to solve problems and build culture that way. Help them figure out how to work together in such a way that they are enabling the cultural change and transformation you want to see. Number three, create and foster a safe environment that holds psychological safety. And number four, find value in your team and build a culture around that. I promise you that investing in a fantastic team culture will be worth it. It can be effort. And yes, if you are in an otherwise toxic environment, it can be exhausting and you have to take care of you first. You have to make sure that your resilience is in place. You need to build your own resiliency toolkit. If you want to hear more about how to build a resiliency toolkit, do drop me a DM. I'm, I can do a future podcast episode on it. I do have some resources as well. So let me know. Resilience is so incredibly important before you do this work. But if you were one of those people that creates a positive culture in an otherwise toxic environment, you can create a small pocket of joy. You can be the person that helps counter that narrative of people leaving the tech industry because it's toxic. You can allow this to snowball and have a positive ripple effect outside your team because people will see higher engagement from your employees, creating higher retention, higher productivity. And in a great company, although they haven't figured out culture, they'll look to you and say, what are you doing? What are you doing differently? And you'll be able to tell them the small changes you made that make a very big impact. That's what that client and me several years ago did. Earlier on in her career, she started out doing it in pockets and rolling it out. Later on, she had such an amazing reputation. She was an executive and she could just change the culture of the entire company. Imagine if you were that person. Is that something you want to be doing? I hope at least some of you are. I know it's not for everybody. It certainly wasn't for me. I will be honest about that. I did not have the resilience when I was working for other people. I probably do now but I didn't back then. And there's therefore, there's no judgment. But if this is resonating with you, I would love you to be one of those change agents. There are so many ways as women in tech that we can be change agents. I just want to find for you that one place where you can be the change agent that creates better outcomes for a company, that creates a better outcome for you, for your career, for your life, and so that you can thrive and flourish. Maybe cultural change is your thing. Let me know. As always, I want to finish off with a little mindset tip. If this one is resonating with you, or maybe it's resonating with you in a negative way, in that you're like, I'm in a toxic organization. I can't change this. This is not on me. I want you to give yourself permission to leave. I can talk to you all day about resilience, about mindset, about standing firm, holding that steel beam to protect your team, having difficult conversations. If you are in a toxic environment, though, and you aren't able to do something about it, one of the most powerful things you can do is vote with your feet. Don't be the person that stays for their team at the expense of their own mental health. 
because that way leads burnout, my love, and nobody is going to benefit from you burning out. All you're doing is prolonging the pain. One of the most powerful things you can do is say, I'm going to leave. I'm going to do this for me. Yes, your team will then be exposed to what happens. But you know what? The best thing for the company and for your team is for it to change. And that sometimes means you leaving so that either somebody in somebody above you realizes how bad the situation is and does something about it, or your team leaves, at which point that's better for their careers too. While you are shielding them, you are allowing this company to continue in a way that is bad for business. It's bad for everybody. It's absolutely bad for business. So if you're holding on because you feel guilty about leaving your team, I want you to give yourself permission to leave because you know what? That's not good for anybody. It's certainly not good for you, but it isn't actually good for any of the other people involved either. A little bit of a different mindset tip today. (laughs) If this episode has resonated with you, I would love to know what you are doing around culture. I'd love to know if you're just experiencing burnout. You've just tried one too many times. It's not for you. I fully respect that. Let me know how you're getting on. I'd love to chat. Always drop me a message in the DMs over on LinkedIn. But until next time, remember, stay on your tech leadership game. Follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.